from the Focus to the GT and everything in between. The man in charge of approving what goes under the hood of a Ford vehicle around the world is Robert Facetti, our special guest on this edition of AutoLine This Week. In the auto industry, you need a partner that can develop the next game-changing technology and mass-produce it quickly. Borg Warner can. Our expertise drives future mobility trends with fast-to-market solutions for clean, efficient propulsion systems. We understand the challenges you face. We know what you need to get ahead. We take innovation from the drawing board to the road quickly, providing localized production around the world. Borg Warner your partner in propulsion system solutions for a cleaner, more energy efficient world. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. Today's topic is all about powertrain, and the reason for that is we have the vice president of powertrain from the Ford Motor Company, Bob Facetti. And Bob, it's great to have you here on the set with us. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. Joining us today also are Bob Gritzinger from Ward's Auto and Lindsey Brook from SAE Engineering. And great to have the both of you on board as part of my journalist panel. Good to be here, Jeff. Happy to be here. Bob, let's jump right into it. So many people say that we're on the verge of seeing the internal combustion engine go away because battery prices are coming down in the next decade. There's a lot of predictions out there that the market's going to flip over to EVs. What's your outlook? You've got to deal with both. Right. You're developing electric cars. You're developing internal combustion engines. Where do you see it going? I, John, I, the, the internal combustion engine is going to be around for a while. I, the, the good part is, is, is when you look at the degree of electrification, what I like to say is that you're, you're transitioning from traditional powertrains to more electrified ones. But the first transition is, is a mild hybrid, 48 volts. You, you'll probably see more of that in, in Europe. It might make more sense with manual transmissions. Uh, then you see full hybrids. That's 400 volts. That requires an internal combustion engine. Then you go to plug-in hybrids, bigger battery, more, more you're able to uh, drive longer on, ele on uh, all electric range. Um, again, when you're out of electric range, the internal combustion engine comes on. It's, you have to get all the way to battery electric vehicles before there, are, there is no internal combustion engine. So I think, I think our future in that regard is, uh, is, uh, is going to be just fine for, for a number of years. So, so walk us through a few of uh, these hybrids that you have coming. Uh, I mean, we've, you've uh, reported uh, that you're going to do a hybrid Mustang, mm -hmm. a hybrid F-150. These are things that wouldn't have been considered for electrification a couple years ago. Well, I Where think we wh what we're trying to optimize is, is those, those vehicles uh, provide a lot of utility, uh, a lot of performance in the case of the Mustang, mm -hmm. all kinds of utility with the, uh, the F-150. What we want to do is, that, is, is be able to offer uh, a hybridized version for each of those, those, uh, those vehicles that, that give that customer the same things that a traditional powertrain would. So he'll be able to tow uh, with a great degree on the, on the F-150 side, and on the Mustang side, he'll get outstanding performance with an electrified vehicle. If you put uh, an electric motor on the rear axle, let's say, it's, it's going to be fantastic. But doesn't it just seem crazy, though, to have an electric Mustang or... What if what's you, the goal? What if you could do an electric Mustang that has a five-liter engine? 
What, what if, if you did that? What if? Sounds like that'd be okay to that'd, me. Yeah. <laughs> I would have no objections. Okay. <laughs> well, then, you, then you got to define your terms, right? Because to me, yes. it's it's a plug-in. It's not an electric. But mm -hmm. I, I I don't know. Electrified, maybe. maybe. Electrified. 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 Maybe there you electrified. Go. When I say electrified, I mean it. It means it carries a battery. So full hybridization, which is pretty prevalent out there, we've we're the number two automaker uh, today in in hybrid electric vehicles. Um, it's a pretty it's a pretty robust technology that's out there. I mean, there's nothing like getting in a vehicle and and just enabling the key, but there's no nothing nothing happens, nothing comes on. It's just the lights come on and the the vehicle's ready to go. Um, I get a, I get a big kick out of that personally. I know I know my uh, my my son and my daughter also do. Of having it just that quiet. In yes, they can't oh. believe it, yeah. and then they can't believe how infrequently they have to. Uh, go to the pump. Hmm. Some people say that uh, in the 2022 to 2025 time frame, battery costs will come down so much that they'll be able to match the cost of an internal combustion engine. Is that the kind of time frame you see it going on? Uh, it depends on the size of the battery, where that crossover point is. The other thing it depends on is the, the level of emission technology that you have to you have to put on each traditional powertrain or any any vehicle for that matter. So whether or not it's 2022 or 2025 or or before, it's hard to it's hard to say because of of those things. Emission technology continues to get dialed down, and so you you see especially in diesel in diesel world we've got selective catalyst reduction or SCR technologies out there now. Um, you see a lot of that in, in Europe uh, as well with, uh, with diesel. You're, you're seeing uh, gas particulate filters in Europe now coming into play. So I think uh, that's, a, that's a piece of the cost up on traditional powertrains that comes into play and when that crossover point actually exists. Mm -hmm. Bob, back when we were all writing about the first hybrid escape, which mm -hmm. was a big deal for you guys yep. in the Vanguard, Nobody then was talking about, nobody knew about shale oil, about the impact of, of that particular energy supply in particularly North American fuel prices. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm always a little bit skeptic about forecasting for things like that because you look back over time and some of the forecasts really haven't been, oh. forecasts haven't been on the money. But um, how has that development affected uh, your fleet mix planning now um, and your strategic uh, powertrain planning. With respect to fuel prices stabilizing in North America, is that what you mean? Right, correct. Yeah. Because it looks like this could go on for quite a while. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think, um, f I don't think fuel technology, uh, or fuel pricing, I should say, is going to drive the market. You're what you're going to see is it's going to be a C emission technology that's going to be, I think, more of a factor. And so, uh, some of the emission tech or the, the emission requirements, especially in California, are becoming very, very stringent to the point where um, it's not going to make a lot of sense uh, to offer what I'd call traditional powertrains without any additional technologies to speak of. Like electrification. That's, that's what's going to drive you towards electrification. Mm -hmm. Then the other piece for us is we're a global company and, and the rest of the markets, the major markets, uh, Europe and, and China uh, are driving towards uh, much more stringent 
uh, emission requirements that'll that'll drive us towards more electrified vehicles. So I, I think it's going to happen, hmm. regardless of um, what fuel pricing is in the U.S. So if we had had, um, if fuel prices had continued to go up for where we thought they were back in the first hybrid yep. escape came out, and we had had maybe a more aggressive uh, regulatory environment, mm -hmm. we'd probably be in a bit different position right now. I, but, I would agree. You know, still you guys don't have the take rate that you, you maybe you thought you had back then on some of the electrified products. That's, that's true, but um, at the time when we launched the escape, we were on, we were on quite the learning curve at the time as well. And so I think we took advantage of, having, of getting out there early and finding out what worked and what the customers liked. And I think today, uh, if you actually, if you actually, if you get a chance and actually drive uh, a hybrid electric fusion, let's say, it's, mm -hmm. it's incredible how well refined this vehicle is. Um, and so I think a lot of that is from being in the technology for more than 10 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's allowed us to uh, balance those requirements and give the customers what they want and what they desire. As a matter of fact, last week in Vienna, I saw some fusion hybrid taxis in yeah. town, oh, yeah. which were a big car in Vienna, but there was a number of them. So, sure. yeah. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Well, uh, emissions provides a perfect bridge to where are you on the diesel F-150. Uh, you know, everyone else is just battling with diesel emissions yep. problems, uh, the latest being FCA. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Volkswagen is still trying to recover, and along comes Ford to s announce, well, let's do a diesel F-150 by 2018, mm -hmm. which seemed like a long timeline when it was announced to get it through engineering, get it all certified and everything. But at this point, you may be looking at and uh, that being a good calendar for getting that vehicle yeah, I think to it's, market. Uh, and so it's, where's that? It's a good one. I, we, we've been out with diesel technology on the Super Duty for a while. We, we were talking earlier about the 6.7. It's been fantastic mm -hmm. for us. So um, in meeting emission requirements, we, we, we feel like we really know how to do it. It's, it's a, we have a very robust process. Uh, and what, what I would say that I'm particularly proud of is we have a very rigorous process. It, you cannot get through the hoops and get it into production um, without meeting those stringent requirements. So I feel real good about where we're, where we're at. And I think 2018 and the F-150 is going to be, you know, good timing for us. And I think, I think the, the uh, displacement of the engine is going to be a good fit. Will diesel get F-150, Bob, into 30 MPG plus highway? Are you confident about that? Oh, I'd have to shoot you, Lindsay, if I told you that number. <laughs> you now you got a 10-speed gearbox. You, you know, you guys were pioneers in the lightweight chassis, so this seems to be the missing link. Mm -hmm. Well, it's going to get good fuel, regardless of what that number is. But, but can I get pinned down on the number today? That's not going to happen. Not going to happen. <laughs> How about in the 30s? <laughs> I'm not going to say. I'm not going to say. High 20s. Bob, no. <laughs> the problem with diesels, uh, are, 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 with some, some companies, you know, Volkswagen and FCA, has come on the testing side. Now there's mm -hmm. a lot more talk of doing on-the-road testing, yeah. not just sticking vehicles in a yeah. laboratory on a chassis dyno and measuring it there, but going out on the open road. What are your thoughts about that? Where do you think this is going to go? I think, I think the emission requirements in the U.S. are actually uh, more heavily loaded with uh, the US 06 cycle being one of the ones you have to pass. So I think uh, it's, it's more representative in the U.S., 
So I think I, I, what's in the lab take, is more representative of right, the open road. Right, right. In Europe, in, in that's Europe, not the case. Um, in, in a, for a number of years, what you had to pass was called the NEDC cycle, which is a very lightly loaded. Uh, it's easy it's, breezy. Yeah, it's a lightly loaded test. Um, the real driving emissions RDE requirements are, are much more representative. I'm, I'm in favor of that. RDE is what? Uh, road? Real driving emissions. Okay, so uh, I think, on the road. Yes, yeah, that would be one way to, mm -hmm. to put it. The actual uh, acronym they use is RDE. And so I do think that uh, that's, a, I think that's a, good, a good change um, so that when you do pass emissions in the laboratory, it'll, it'll represent what any typical customer uh, will, will do on the road. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Um, at Geneva this year, you guys showed a cylinder deactivation version of your one liter triple, uh -huh. 61 cubic inches, 1,000 cc, that can go down to a two-cylinder engine. Amazing to me. And I've heard recently that that's been put off a little bit. Can you shed some light on that and for Europe? And would we likely see an engine like that, Bob, in North America? The, the vehicle, uh, the size of the vehicle... In, in Europe is is generally smaller, where the the one liter displacement engine can make some sense. Um, I can't comment on on the timing. I am not uh, I am not familiar with any delay to speak of. So um, as far as what I'm engineering and doing, it's uh, on track for for what I know is the job one. Um, the uh, What's kind of neat about this this technology or the variable displacement engine technology is is you know what we tried to optimize was when you're when you're on a, a highway or you're on a flat surface you steady you, state, steady state uh, not too fast because then uh, aerodynamics comes into play um, but if you're not you know if you're in that that range let's say 50 to 70 miles an hour maybe faster uh, and flat you can drop a cylinder. And you'll be doing just fine. So, and that what I like about VDE is that that is one technology where you can simply say you are you are using less fuel when you are in it than than you do when you are not in it. It's very clear. But and pumping so you, losses is reduced. Well, sure, it's, sure, but but pumping losses is less than than if you're combusting. Okay, so, so it's a combination of the two. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the thing. I mean, you are sending less fuel to those, you know, to two cylinders versus three. Will we see that technology in other Ford North American engines? One might. One, One might. might. <laughs> Bob, I'd like to go back to gasoline for a moment, but mm -hmm. not from a price standpoint, from an okay. octane standpoint. Sure. Oh, yeah. Your competitors across town, General Motors, are openly calling for high octane gasoline mm -hmm. being the gasoline of the future because you can improve the thermodynamic efficiency of an engine yep. by increasing the compression ratio and all that. In you know, plain English, you make the engine more efficient. Right. What are your thoughts? Is the Ford Motor Company also calling for higher octane gasoline? Sure. Yeah, we're in agreement with uh, our colleagues across, across town as well as our colleagues uh, in, the northern, in, the, in the northern town, I guess would be <laughs> a way to put it. But yes, yeah. we're, we're, we're all aligned that, that um, if we had a single higher octane fuel, then you wouldn't have to design for the low octane fuel. And so what, would, what stops you from uh, getting efficient in that area is, is knock. You have to be robust to knock on 87 octane fuel. If we did not have that um, requirement, we could increase the compression ratio and be robust 
to knock at, let's just say, 96, 97, 98 run fuel, something in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the the challenge I think is to be able is to is to try to provide a fuel that's not too expensive to where the customer won't won't want it. So if we can if we can provide a fuel that's that's um, a little bit more expensive uh, but gets that better octane, then I think that's a good balance. So what you're saying is not the kind of increase in price we see for premium today right because it's a big jump to go from regular to premium is right but if you if you put yourself in the oil company's hands they've got to provide they've got to provide 87 they've got to provide 91 they've got to provide 93 they've got to provide 96 they've got a complexity issue that i think is not good either so So you'd like to see them have just one if we could get to a single octane that they could optimize the fuel blends for I think that'd be great. What sort of feedback have you gotten from your energy industry colleagues on on them changing so radically in that regard? Well, I think I think simplifying simplifying what they have to offer um, certainly they like, and we're working with them in a very very friendly way um, to see if we can't come up with a plan that that would work. And do you see compression ratios, Bob, getting to kind of diesel? Almost diesel levels. Uh, if you no, could increase, not, not diesel, not diesel levels, but thirteen to one. Higher, thirteen would be pushing it. You, okay. you would, you would have to one. You would have to have a higher octane fuel. Period. Yeah. Um, but you would have to have uh, a very efficient power to weight to make thirteen to one work. Hmm. Probably more in the. the Eleven to twelve to one range makes more sense. Hmm. Any idea when we might see this single blend of higher octane gasoline? Uh, I don't have a timeline, John, but but I mean we continue to work uh, with not only with the other OEMs, but we work with um, uh, oil companies as, as well to see if we can't come up with something that would work. Hmm. And in your work with uh, DI and turbocharging, i.e., EcoBoost. Um, hmm. Bob, do you see soon um, uh, particulate filters coming for gas engines in North America? I mean, there's a lot of talk about this. I think um, it's something that, that I think will happen. Um, as, as, again, I mentioned it, it's, as emission requirements continue to get screwed down further, uh, particulates become an issue. I was going to say particularly. Like, but, <laughs> but, yeah, they, they... Nox goes down, PM goes yeah, up. Yeah, yeah and so... As we have to uh, address a uh, particular matter, that's, that's where they come into play. Hmm. I can't tell you specifically when, mm-hmm. uh, but again, it's, um, when you want to offer you know, everything you can to the customer, the higher power-to-weight ratio of vehicles become difficult. Hmm. So as a powertrain guy, you must love the fact that particularly the trucks have gone to aluminum already in that regard. I love that fact. Yeah. I love that fact, but I also love the fact that it's enabled uh, an engine like the 2.7 liter, mm. the EcoBoost engine. And, and what, what do you think of commentary recently about GM and FCA looking at big boosted fours for their uh, 1500 series trucks? Uh, well, I think if, if they can... Uh, uh, make the weight of those vehicles efficient, then a, then a four-cylinder could, could make sense. Hmm. Can we look at the other part of powertrain? Uh, not that long ago, five-speed was, you know, a lot of, a lot of gears, yeah. a lot of ratios. Sure. Now you're at 10. Mm-hmm. Where are we going? I think, I, think, I think 10 is pretty close to the limit. Um, We're going to you know, pull the whole this idea, out in five years. Well, right? no, the whole idea is to, is to 
when you shift is to bring the is to bring the the engine RPM back to to a spot where your your specific fuel consumption is very very good. And then if if you're doing that throughout your RPM range, you know, in ten different times, that's that's pretty darn good. But at at, at more than that, um, you have to add you have to add bits, you have to add gears, you have to add hydraulics. And so then the then the it's a diminishing return game. So as you go from from four speeds to five speeds, that's a twenty percent uh, increase in 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 span. Right. Um, but when you go from ten to eleven, it's a ten percent increase. So so that's how you'd have to look at it. Yeah. Bob, I, I'd like like to talk about catalytic converters because I'm told that. For the average driver every day, 80% of the emissions that they're going to generate with their car happen in the first three minutes of operation mm -hmm. because the catalytic converter has not heated up sure. yet sure. to where it's efficient. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you had an electrically heated one, yep. you might see a dramatic reduction in emissions. What, what, what are your thoughts on electrically heated catalytic converters? Well, it sounds like you have the answer, John. <laughs> so I think, I, think, uh, I think electrically heated catalysts are, are a good idea. I think... Um, Especially on electrified vehicles, where you have a lot of electricity available to to optimize in a certain way. So, one of the things that we are certainly investigating is is do you direct some electricity? So, a typical just so everybody understands. So, typical full hybrid vehicles is a 400 volt system. There's a lot of electricity, and so could you? direct some of that across the catalyst. Some of that voltage across the catalyst where you generate some current and keep it, keep it hot, hotter than certainly no current, to where it's very efficient when it comes on. I think, I think that makes some sense. Is this part of our previous discussion about battery costs going down? So when you look at maybe adding particulate filters, electrically heated cats, cylinder deactivation, et cetera. We're making the good old auto cycle engine much more efficient, but, mm -hmm. but there's a cost. And some of this cost isn't like I walk into a dealership and say, give me that electrical, electrically heated catalyst. You know, it, it's yeah, just got to be invisible. It's, it's got to be invisible. How it's do you manage be that? It's got to be integrated into, into what you provide the customer. You don't want the customer to try to figure out something of that magnitude. Mm -hmm. So that's what, that's what we're working on. So how, how do you manage it? I would... At some point, you've, if you have an internal combustion engine in the, in the product, then it must meet emissions. And if the emissions uh, requirements get so low that you, you don't have any other option but to have the catalyst when it comes on to be efficient, to work, to, to catalyze uh, at its highest efficiency level, um, then one, one could suspect that that electrically heating it so that it is efficient when it first comes on makes a lot of sense. Can you then maybe take some loading out of the cat to m mitigate that extra cost with the electric heating? Uh, I, I haven't gone down that route yet to, mm -hmm. to say. So, Lindsay, I'd like to make sure that we've got uh, an option on how we could heat that catalyst before mm -hmm. we could look at optimizing the amount of precious metals that are required. Okay. Going back to uh, transmissions for a moment, you know, you, you add more gears because you can actually make an internal combustion engine more efficient mm -hmm. that way. But as you electrify this, is it possible that we're going to see uh, our, you know, fewer gears in the transmissions going forward? Yes. Yes, you would. You would, 
you really, you really only need to shift two or three times uh, for optimal, uh, optimal energy, I guess I would, the way I would describe it. And so, yes, you'll see, you'll see uh, uh, an evolution on what, what that looks like. So if you get an all battery... Are we going back to three speeds? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Really? Yeah, it could make some sense. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Why didn't you guys like CVTs? Uh, I'm driving a Honda. You know, Honda's big on CVT. Toyota's Nissan. got CVT, Nissan. Mm -hmm. And you, you guys tried it and had the, uh, was it Batavia, Ohio, mm -hmm. you know, yep. that operation. Um, so proliferation of gear ratios and with step mm -hmm. uh, planetary automatics and CVTs. How do, you, how do you look at those two technologies in terms of transmission? Well, traditional uh, step shift transmissions. The the one it's it's what we know. It's what we know really well. Um, and the uh, the the amount of torque that it can handle uh, varies, you know, widely. So we we offer step shift transmissions all the way up through uh, the Super Duty and the and the ten speed and the F one fifty. You can, you can't do a CVT up there. Mm -hmm. um, so if you look at if you look at where our uh, Profit margins are generated. It, it, it is in vehicles that are um, have traditional step shift transmissions, and so we want to make sure that that, that business is protected. Um, can you dabble in this in CVT, CVT technology up to where the torque is the torque limits are? Yes, mm -hmm. yes, you can. But for us, it made more sense based on some of our experiences to to optimize the step step shift transmission. It's it's. And coupled with EcoBoost technology, it's really worked out well for us. Is robustness, Bob, still superior in a stepped automatic versus a CVT? I can't say. In our experience, we've had more luck with, I don't want to say luck, we've had more durability uh, with the step shift technology. Mm -hmm. um, I can't speak to how some of the other companies have done. Mm -hmm. We're down to the very end. Bob, looks like you've got a question there. Uh, when do we get a Raptor engine and a regular F-150? When do we get <laughs> a, an RS powertrain uh, across, uh, you know, available to the lower-end foci? Yeah, well, the, no? the, the RS, the Focus RS. Um, and we need a quick answer. Yeah, the, 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 end. Yeah, the, uh, the engines in an RS are, are unique. Exclusive. So RS, yes, they are. That's what, that in a that's what makes them an RS. Right. Uh, your question on, on F-150, we've got a 3.5 in, uh, in the F-150 and a 3.5 in the uh, Raptor. Yeah. So I think we're, we're already is, pretty close uh, to there. 450 well, horse and 500 some foot know, So the answer is buy a Raptor, Bob. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> buy an RS. Look, I'm, I'm afraid we're going to have to wrap this up. Wow. Bob Facetti, thanks so much for coming in. Very sure. interesting thanks, discussion. A lot going on in powertrain, yep. clearly. Bob Gritzinger from Wards, Lindsey Brook from SAE Engineering. I want to thank both of you, too. Thanks, John. Thank you. And, of course, nice got to thank all of you for having tuned in. In the auto industry, you need a partner that can develop the next game-changing technology and mass-produce it quickly. Borg Warner can. Our expertise drives future mobility trends with fast-to-market solutions for clean, efficient propulsion systems. We understand the challenges you face. We know what you need to get ahead. We take innovation from the drawing board to the road quickly, providing localized production around the world. Borg Warner, your partner in propulsion system solutions for a cleaner, more energy-efficient world.